Hey there folks, Alex Lokes here for Classic Camera Revival, and today we're doing something a little bit different. James Lee and I are going to be sitting down and bringing you back to the basics and teaching you all about large format. So this is Classic Camera Revival in August, and this is Large Format 101. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. Okay, guys. Good morning, James. Good morning, Alex. How are you? Well, um, I'm awake, and unlike many of our episodes, we're actually sober because it's 8.30 in the morning on a Sunday. Yes, indeed. What a strange feeling. (laughs) (laughs) But very important to be sober because uh, large format is one one type of photography that definitely needs um, a lot of attention to it. Absolutely. Simply because... um, you um you have no forgiveness yeah it's 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 different the whole process is different um uh, you're loading a sheet of film one at a time as mm-hmm. opposed to a, any type of uh, cartridge type of camera whether or not it's uh, and i include medium format which i guess is not necessarily a cartridge but a roll it's a roll yeah but uh with large format you're uh, you're loading a sheet of film for a- absolutely every single shot that you take mm-hmm so, um, so before we uh, start, we are defining large format as 4x5, 5x7, and 8x10. Now, there is the smaller sheets, um, 2 and a quarter by 3 and a quarter, but you can't get those Absolutely. these days unless you custom cut them down. Um, of course, anything 8x10 or above or any weird sizes like 7x17 is classified under ultra-large format. And again, you can still buy that film, but it's a once a year order and it's direct from Ilford and you can buy any size you want. Absolutely. And hooray for Ilford for uh, uh, catering to photographers that want to shoot those ultra large uh, format uh, uh, size negatives. Absolutely. Okay. So um, let's just break this down to um, let's just start right at the beginning with um, camera types. So first and foremost, you have monorail cameras. Now, this, the monorail comes from the fact that there's a single rail mounted on the center, and that sets up your front standard, your rear standard. you got the bellows between them. They're pretty bulky. Um, tripod, definitely recommended. Um, you can handhold them if you really want to. Um, and um, for the most part, you can buy one, and you're basically paying for a lens. At this point, pretty much, it's uh, essentially a box with bellows, um, a, uh, a ground glass uh, viewing mm-hmm. screen, uh, and you don't even necessarily need the viewing screen because you no. could actually zone focus with uh, one of these things. Um, and that's basically it. Uh, you uh, pop your lens on the front, and mm-hmm. and away you go. And uh, you know, one of the things to remember with large format photography when it comes to lens selection. Um, it is a little bit more limited than, say, your SLR kind of market. Yes, absolutely. Um, some of the uh, good brands to uh, go for if you're interested in a uh, monorail camera is uh, Cambo. Definitely. And Cinar. Uh, yes. And um, you have the Cinar uh, Norma, which is one of the top absolutely. monorail cameras. But you can also go with the uh, F and the P. Correct. Um, and uh, I guess when you look at um, uh, large format cameras, they kind of fall into two categories. I think there's sort of the press camera mm-hmm. um, and I guess your traditional monorail. And then you move into more of the precision type uh, cameras as well. Um, and uh, the next step up really is the field camera. Absolutely. Right. Um, as the uh, name implies, it's designed for use in the field. So it's fairly portable. Yep. Often made out of wood, there are some modern ones that are made out of aluminum, carbon fiber, even 3D printed ones Yes, out there. Um, you lose some of the movements that you get with um, a monorail, um, and uh, they can be fairly expensive. Um, one of the cheapest I know is the Intrepid cameras, and uh, they've come a long way from the initial introduction, the new Mark III of their 4x5 is a fantastic, solidly built camera. Oh, that's great. I, I think yours tipped over on the tripod and, and... No, mine got knocked over in a in a bag on a bus coming back from Fortress Lueberg uh, and uh, completely and totally busted, which ouch. is unfortunate. Um, but then you also have uh, Chamonix, Deardorff, 
um, Deerdorf, um, yeah. Shen Hao, and Takahara, yeah. which all produce fantastic cameras, but they come with a price tag. Absolutely. Um, and then, of course, there's the press cameras. Yeah. And as the name implies, again, these are for press photographers. These were for press photo- photographers. Yeah, and, and they have- were used, uh, I think, primarily, um, I would say, in the 40s era. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are a lot of them are still around today. And I guess one of the cool things about some of those cameras, the uh, the first lightsaber uh, Absolutely. in Star Wars was constructed out of an old Graflex uh, flash wand. Mm-hmm. That's right. And uh, if you walk into Burlington Camera and ask for one for that purpose, Joan will kill you. <laughs> Um, we do not repurpose photography equipment. <laughs> no, no. Um, of course, you have even fewer movements than you do with the field um, cameras. Now, the uh, Crown Graphic that I use actually has quite a bit of movement with the uh, front standard. I have um, I have some level of tilt and uh, shift um, available in mine. And again, these are very compact. They can be used handheld quite easily. I've shot mine handheld um, because they often have a rangefinder. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's one of the things that um, if you are shopping for uh, or looking to get into the uh, 4x5, uh, I guess, genre of photography, if you are looking for a press camera, one of the things to remember, uh, what the good things about press cameras is, is they're generally a little bit of a lower cost compared to a, uh, a precision camera or a really, really expensive or precision monorail. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can pick them up uh, fairly inexpensively. But one of the things to remember when you are looking at a press style camera is you have no rear standard movements. No. Um, but one thing to note, that isn't necessarily a drawback, at least in my opinion. Exactly. I, I've I, never... I rarely use the rear uh, uh, movements when yeah. I shoot large format. Yeah, absolutely. No, and um, I love my Crown Graphic. It's big, it's beefy, um, yet fairly compact at the same time. Um, and again, so... You have the crown graphic, you have the speed graphic, which has a rear shutter, so just something to look out for. And then uh, Burke and James also oh, produced yeah. a, uh, a press camera as well. And then number four um, is the uh, technical cameras. Now, these are, you basically have the movements of a monorail and a, or a field camera in a press camera shell. Yeah. Um, very precise. Oftentimes, all the movements are geared. Um, these are expensive. They are the. Uh, I have I have one of them, and I referred to my Linhoff as the Leica of large format, mm. and uh, that's a I guess a common um, expression that you'd find in the photography world because they are they are rather excessively uh, priced. Yep. Um, you can find um, there's a British maker MPP as well yes. Um, yes. that are generally a little bit lower cost than mm-hmm. Linhoffs, but, but they per- are rarer. Yeah, especially little, over here in North America. Absolutely, and they perform just as well. Geared movements precision absolutely. movements absolutely if you can find one in north america you're probably gonna uh it'll probably be from canada yeah it'll probably be from canada because a lot of those were uh brought over um after the war mm-hmm. um a lot of canadian soldiers that uh, were stationed in the uk um brought them back uh with or them were part of um the canadian film and photo unit yeah absolutely yeah and then of course uh, in canada we have a lot of uh, british expats as well mm. that have brought uh, things over with them um, one of the uh, things to note with uh, with a precision camera um, is that, uh, and with and I guess with any large format, and I will get into it when we talk about shooting a little bit. But mm-hmm. uh, when you first get into it, don't be so excited to uh, to exaggerate a lot of those standard movements. Oh, you absolutely. don't need to move them very no. much at all. No. So if you are shopping for a camera, uh, don't uh, worry about a camera that looks like it doesn't move as much like we're we're not moving um uh, and tilting uh front and rear standards you know by inches we're talking you know quarter inches uh, centimeters things like that like nothing crazy no no absolutely um and of course um we mentioned uh the lenses now again there's there is a lot more limitation to the lenses because the lenses for a large format camera for the most part contains both the optics and the shutter itself, because essentially a large format camera is nothing but a box. Everything comes in with the lens, your aperture, etc. Yep. Um, one thing you really need to look at when buying the lens 
is the uh, image circle that it can project. Absolutely. So you can always use an 8x10, 8x10 lens on a 4x5, but you can't use a lens designed for 4x5 on an 8x10. Absolutely, yeah. And you also still have to watch out for um, the lenses that are designed for the two and a quarter by three and a quarter. You won't have the image circle needed to cover that four by five sheet of film. Um, best place to start would be a uh, hundred and fifty millimeter lens. That's generally the normal range yeah. uh, for most four by five or yep. large format systems, and they generally run like you're not going to find anything wider uh, than a ninety millimeter. That's and right. anything longer than a 300 millimeter is mm-hmm. going to be pretty. There are some longer lenses out there. But then you're really getting into monorail and needing special bellows. It, yeah, or, uh, double bellows or a, a standard in the middle. Um, you know, all kinds of uh, yeah. crazy setups that or you can do. A bag. A bag, a bag yeah. bellows if you're going to um, you go know, any wider than 90. Absolutely. Yep. And. Um, uh, yeah, it, it, it's one of those things um, by its very nature, and I'm talking mostly monorail at this point, are, mm-hmm. are essentially modular camera systems. You, you can change lens boards, you can change lenses, you can, um, you know, add multiple standards if you, you know, are doing some, ex- say some extreme macro and you need, yeah. uh, uh, you need to extend bellows, say, more than two feet. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen some crazy stuff uh, on the internet. I generally don't get into to that. It's, no. it's a lot of work and it's a lot of equipment to carry around. Around, uh, but there are guys that, that that do stuff like that. So oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, so again, I personally prefer the 125 millimeter. So slightly wider than normal. Um, some good names: um, Fuji, absolutely some fantastic glass. Um, Nikon as well. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Nikkor large uh, mm. large format uh, glass. Yep. Um, I think I have a uh, 180. Oh, I have one. It's, I think it's a 180 millimeter yep. uh, f 5.6. And again, when it comes to large format lenses, don't um, uh, you know like uh, you don't need fast. Glass. No, like 5.6 is a fast lens. Absolutely. You know, and uh, uh, you got to remember your uh, the opening may be smaller, but that's all relative to what you're projecting on the uh, on the exactly. film plane of the camera. So. And you're going to be stopping it down anyways. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we we fondly refer to large format as the F64 club. Yep. Because you can shoot at F64, and um, and well, you're sometimes you want to, and, because you want to landscape. Yeah, and, it, and you know if you're shooting some, yeah, absolutely some very detailed landscape shots, and you want. Um, you know, essentially the entire frame, corner to corner, mm-hmm. to be absolutely sharp. Um, you know, by all means, that's you know, large format is where you want to be if that's what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you got Schneider Kruznak, which uh, is absolutely um, they are still producing glass. So is Fuji, so is Nikon. And um, if you really want a classic lens for your um, for your uh, large format. Look at the Kodak Actars. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, 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 are there are there Alex? Maybe you can. Um, I've always wondered: are there, were there two versions of the Actar lens made? Was yes. there an American version and a German version? No, um, they really produced the uh, Actar for four by five and two focal lengths. Okay, um, you have the one hundred and thirty five f four point seven, and then you have the two hundred and three f seven point seven lens. Ah, okay. Now, the one thing you do have to look out for on these is that they are older. Um, so Shutter problems? Um, you will want to um, get the uh, shutter CLA'd. Yep. The trouble is is that the um, Flashmatic shutters are incredibly difficult. Oh, and I would imagine, I mean, I've, always, I've wanted to get a couple of my lenses CLA'd. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not aware of anyone in Canada... No. That has um, a stellar enough reputation where you want to send some of your more rare prized glass to. Exactly. Um, but the uh, Schneider um, Xenar um, 135 4.7 is an equally excellent lens. Oh, good to know. And uh, those were um, often put on the uh, Crown Graphics specials. And they were called specials because they had German glass instead of. Kodak. Ah, uh, interesting. And uh, I always uh, my um, now I, I never tested the two of them side by side, but I had always ho- heard or been told or heard through the various grapevines of film photography that the Ektar was the lens to get over the Schneider. 
if you're pixel peeping. Ah, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you can find anything to, to either settle or continue your argument on the internet, I suppose. So. Exactly. Um, and we here at CCR believe that shoot what you like. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, guess what? The only, the only person that matters in equipment choice is, is the you. person shooting it. So. Yep. Absolutely. It doesn't matter what everybody else has. It matters what you have. Yep. So now that you've got your kit together, um, it's time to actually go out and get shooting. Um, now, a lot of people are going to hate us for saying this, but large format makes you slow down. Yes. Um, it's not necessarily a slower form of photography, no. but from a mindset perspective, you really need to think about what you're doing. Exactly. Um, especially when you're first working with 4x5 and even years of working 4x5, the faster you go, the more mistakes you'll uh, make. Yeah, when I'm in a rush, I screw something up. Oh, you absolutely. know, whether or not it's uh, it's you know pulling the dark slide out, and I've got the uh, the, the, sh- the shutter open. set on time, and uh, and it's wide open because mm-hmm. I, you know, I said, oh, I got to get that shot. I get everything set up. I get all excited, and I um, forget that I forgot to close the lens back down. Yeah, I I've done that too. Um, um, the one nice thing about large format is it is truly WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. Absolutely, it is. You uh, look through that ground glass, and everything is mirrored and upside down. It takes a bit to figure out how to compose that, especially when you start adding movements into the mix. Um, but it just looks gorgeous on on the ground glass. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, uh, you know one of the things that I find helpful is that, uh, and, and this is, I guess, one of the theories as to why it slows you down because it takes time to process an image that's um, inverted mm-hmm. and reversed. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, but I do find that helpful because it, it, it changes your, like I said earlier, it changes, it's a different mindset. So it changes your mindset from say typical, you know, SLR, TTL photography, like, mm-hmm. a, and, and I'm going to um, exclude uh, like TLRs and uh, waist level uh, waist finders, level finders yeah. where it's also reversed because like it would, this would, this theory would also apply to those cameras. Um, uh, I, I find it personally that when I have an image that, I have to think about and my brain has to process doing a couple extra steps to kind of figure out it really helps me with composition because mm-hmm. I'm not you know it's it, it you your brain automatically assumes and you know you have everyone has a sense of precognition like if you've ever yep. done some of these you know stupid games on the on the internet and you know they they show you those words with with missing characters or characters reversed your brain is already recognizes what those words are exactly so the same thing can happen to us when we're shooting mm-hmm. um we are we often confuse our pre-visualization with what's actually uh, uh what the there. camera's actually seeing and then it's not until you get home and you remove yourself from that situation you're going through your your scanned images or your contact cheat or whatever and you're like, oh, shit, if I had only spent, uh, you know, an extra 10 seconds, Absolutely. I would have uh, noticed that there was, say, a traffic light in the shot yeah. or, um, you know, there's a wire, uh, hydro wire going across the frame or, and you know. thank goodness that all our images, we scan them and we can fix those in Photoshop. Yes, Photoshop is still your friend in, in film photography. Absolutely. And, um, you know, if you're not Photoshopping or finishing your film photography images, then you're, well, essentially not finishing your work. So That's right. Uh, but to each his own. Who am I to preach? Just finish your work. <laughs> um, so, once, so once you've got your image composed, um, next thing you do, at least what I do, is I, I will then meter the scene. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I prefer to use a spot meter. Mm-hmm. I will um, point it at the uh, darkest shadow I want the most detail in. Yep. And then underexpose it by a stop. Yep. That pretty much the uh, uh, utilizing the zone system there. Shadows in zone four, the only yep. part of the zone system that matters yep. to me. <laughs> so I often do that as well. Um, but I'll be honest, I often cheat because I have a very fancy uh, um, Sakonic light meter mm. that allows that has built-in averaging. Uh, so yes. basically, I will um, I'll essentially uh, I'll start um, you know with my zone four shadows. I'll meter there. 
I'll meet her my darkest shadow, and then I'll meet her my um, uh, the uh, most highlight that I okay. want captured in the frame. And so I'll, I'll take three readings, okay. and um, and my meter will automatically average those out. Nice. Um, so you know, it I find that it's very helpful when yeah. it comes to uh, um, especially slide film. Absolutely, when it comes to slide film, which is very expensive when you're when you're getting when you're into into sheets, into sheets and. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think uh, you're probably looking in the range of about ten bucks a sheet. Ten bucks a shot, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to color and slide, color is mm-hmm. considerably vastly more expensive black than black and, and white. white. Black and um, white's cheap as chips, relatively speaking. Yeah. And um, again, you can go very expensive by buying the Kodak Tri X or yeah. T Max films, or you can go very cheap with the Arista EDU series or the yep. Cat Labs X-Film 80. Yeah, that would be really cool in large format if that ever came out. It is available in 4x5. Oh, is it really? Oh, yes. I didn't know. Oh, okay. I guess I'll have to... I, I have yet to shoot a roll. Um, but... I need to... Uh, once I finish the semi-open boxes of 4x5, yeah. I will get some more. Cool. Um, but again, I will average, but I use a Pentax Spot Meter 5, yeah. so... I'm doing it manually. Yeah, you're doing it in your head, which which actually is not that difficult to do. Really, no, especially so. on the especially on the five because it gives me the two EV settings. Yeah. and I can just sort of pick the one in the middle. Yeah, and you depending can, on the film and how I'm going to develop it, I'll go over or under. Absolutely, and and let's remember the same rules of exposure apply. And you know, I I like you know without getting too far off topic, when it comes to exposure, I basically start with what is it that I want to be That's most right. prominent in the frame. That's and then right. that will be my baseline metering. And then mm-hmm. I'll go, okay, so... Um, that's what I want highlighted. So let's say it's a portrait or let's say it's a landscape and there's a waterfall or a tree or a mountain or something like that. What do I want? I want no loss of highlights and shadows in that particular part of the frame. Exactly. That's where I'll start my baseline metering. Yep. And then if I have, I look at, then I'll look at the dynamics of the uh, exposure in the frame and I'll look at the shadows and the highlights and then I'll ask myself, okay, what's more important to me in this frame? Yeah. What's going to complement that central part of the subject? Is it the, uh, is it the shadows mm-hmm. or is it the highlights? And let's say it's a sunset. So if it's a sunset, I'm going to want to, um, you know, uh, air to the side of of the of get of capturing that setting sun. That's right. So then I will probably reduce my exposure and I'll I'll, I'll meter. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll those dark shadows. Yeah. So I want I'll, I'll want it silhouetted a little bit more. And so then I'll meter off to the upper left or right hand corner of the setting sun, mm-hmm. and uh, and then that's where I'll set my primary. Um, uh, exposure at and then depending if I want to see a little bit more detail in what would normally be silhouetted I will make um, anywhere from uh, one half to three quarter stop adjustment uh, either on the under or overexposure side and I find that works really well absolutely so once I've got my um, my exposure settings down I then will set the lens I'll stop it down and I'll set the shutter speed and then very very important I close the shutter. Yes. So depending on um, on some of the lenses that, that you might find for large format, some mm-hmm. of the lenses have a time setting or yep. T setting that basically holds the shutter open until you, until you click it again. That's the release again. Um, and some um, uh, lenses have an actual like, switch. switch, a toggle at the side that opens yep. the, uh, I, I guess uh, it's more of just a, 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 a what would be equivalent of a primary curtain or something. That's right. Uh, and that opens and closes. It doesn't actually control like the aperture of the no. of the lens. It's a separate shutter. That's right. It opens the shutter blades yep. itself. Yeah. So you can you can you can find lenses like that. I find those to be the most convenient. Yes. Um, because um, you know I love my uh, Schneider SimRS. Yep. Um, two ten five six because it has that switch. Yeah, it has that switch, and and uh, my Nikkor does. My I have a Schneider two ten mm-hmm. as well. It also does. Um, some of them don't have that, so some of the older lenses just have a bulb setting. That's right. So that's where you would uh, want to find yourself a cable release that fits on that lens, yep. and then just uh, while you're composing mm-hmm. and focusing, um, uh, you would want to just hold that uh, that yeah. shutter open. Or there's an, um, a, um, a toggle on my Atour 3X tar. There's a toggle that I basically hold and then press the shutter release, and it will hold it open. Oh, cool. And then you just press the shutter release again, and it will close. So it's kind of like a time setting, 
almost. Oh, that's cool. But um, it's there, and again, this lens dates to late 40s. Um, it's the oldest lens I, I yeah, actually have. Yeah, oh, that's pretty good, yeah. Now, I've basically trained myself to make sure that the shutter blades are closed before I even put the film holder into the camera. That's a very good practice, So, and that's a good, that's a good thing. So, you know, don't load the camera until you see black on that's the... Right. Uh, on the ground glass on the focusing screen first time first time i shot four by five i must have checked that shutter three times before i even put (laughs) those first sheets into the camera yeah um and then again that's it you pull it in you pull the dark slide you press the cable release and you put it in all that work for a few seconds yeah it's very true you know we should probably spend just a couple minutes on on actually loading uh yes film cartridge or or we have that later in the agenda here that is our um um our next topic but first we want to talk about movement cool um don't overdo it absolutely um yeah it a little goes a long long way absolutely for the most part i find myself just using front rise Yes, uh, for the most part, I do. Um, one thing that I want to mention before you even start mo- on, on movements of the camera, what is critically important with large format photography, particularly if you're shooting uh, architecture, mm-hmm. the camera must be level. Yes. Yes. A lot of large format cameras, especially precision ones, like, have a uh, have a built in spirit level. If um, if you don't. If your camera doesn't have one, go buy yourself a tiny little, um, like string level, like a spirit That's level, right. on it, and just put it on the camera. Um, if you're going to be using um, movements in your camera, it really does need to start off being level first, mm-hmm. and you'll really notice this if you're shooting architecture and your camera's not level, and then you're you're you know you're using tilt and rise yeah. to have parallel lines. What you'll find is that the, either the bottom or the top of the building may bulge out and, and right. be very warped, and that goes back to the camera itself not being level. That's right. So we've talked about rise, um, rise and fall. That's moving um, the uh, front or rear standard. Yep. Um, up and down. Yep, vertically up and down. Yeah, that's right. You got tilt, which adds sort of um, front and back um, um, tilt yep. to uh, the standard as well. Yeah, I've I have the capabilities to do that. I've again, I've never used it. Um, you have shift, which mm-hmm. uh, shifts from left to right. That's right. And then um, rotation as well. Yeah, which sort of gives it an angle. And um, one thing. Um, and it will again manipulate how the image looks. Um, it it basically allows for direct manipulation of your depth of field. Yeah, absolutely. Even, um, you can create some pretty you, funky effects with yes. it if that's what you're into. Absolutely, you can do some. You can if you're shooting a portrait, you can make somebody look extremely weird, mm-hmm. or you can actually make them uh, lose about ten pounds. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, one thing you'll probably want to read up on, but it is way too early in the morning for us to be discussing this, is the Schleimflug. We can't even principle. say it, so I don't know I how we can read say it. it. Um, it's basically a geometric rule that's applied when the lens plane is not parallel to the film plane. Yeah. And we'll post a link on the episode notes on where you can read more about it. But I'm really sorry, Simon. We are not going to be discussing this <laughs> over a few IPAs because that would just go off the rails. Yeah, we'd force you all to drink, which may not necessarily be a bad thing. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I believe MIT offers a master's degree in Schleimflug, so, <laughs> Absolutely. which is pretty much what you need to understand the damn thing. And mm-hmm. I, I, I'll tell you, I've been shooting large format for many, many years now. Uh, never once have I ever considered. Uh, Neither have I. I've never, and I don't really consider Bellows extension factor either when it comes to exposure. Why? I um, I'm not that smart, and I just like to keep things simple. And at the end of the day, for me personally, now others may have a different perspective mm-hmm. on it, and you might find a lot of that in the large format community. It's um, it's a very shall we say particular type of photographer that exactly. gets into it very deep and they're very exacting and you know frankly I just don't employ that level of standards when I'm shooting. No and um, I, I see large format in its practical sense. I like it because it gives you that big negative. It's fun to do when you're in the right 
mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And I, I love it. I love that big negative. Uh, the cameras themselves are conversation mm-hmm. starters. Um, the lenses and the image quality, the... Um, uh, the resolution and the rendering of some of the lenses that you have in large format fantastic. are fantastic, you know, and, and you got to remember large format, like lenses, the lenses are tiny, yeah. you know, they're not like your modern day zooms where you've got, you know, multiple groups and elements and, you know, you've That's got right. like, you know, since some zoom lenses, 20, 30 pieces of glass that, yeah. that weigh a ton, you know, we're talking maybe, you know, five or six elements in a, which would be a, a fairly big lens, but you yeah. know, um, and they're universal. Yeah, and they're universal. Like it, it really, they all mount, and and there's various, you know, the Copal Zero, I think, to Copal Three or Four. Yeah, and these are just the size of the holes for and the lens board. And then it uh, all depends board. on what lens board you yeah. mount it on, what cameras you can use yeah. on it. Um, but um, of course, we still have to load the film. Yes, and again, film holders very universal, um, as in. A four by five filter that I use in my Crown Graphic will work in a four by five Intrepid or Linhoff or a yep. Cambo. Et Absolutely, cetera, et cetera, and and the same applies to the other formats. All yep. five by seven, they're all essentially the sizes are standardized, yep. um, but the compatibility is universal for all cameras. Exactly. Um, the first thing I always make sure to do before even putting the film into a dark bag is I clean out my holders. I have a dedicated brush for that, and I just brush them out. That's a great point, you know, and and I'll admit it's something I often forget. I Um, do, too. Clean your film holders. Um, It's it's very, very easy to damage an expensive sheet of film uh, when you're loading it. Um, If there is any, like, say, grit or foreign material in in your holder or on your dark slide, uh, you're gonna put. You can. You could you put can, a pretty deep scratch on scratch a it. on a very um, expensive sheet of film, yeah. um, and you're not gonna know it until you you know shoot the shoot the frame and get home and and develop it and oops and then you're like oh man are you kidding me there goes ten dollars yeah. the window yeah and the time it took to go find the shot wait for the light etc that's all that right stuff uh, that's right so it is very important to uh, yeah. to clean it um, and you know loading is. Uh, uh, there's a little trick to loading as well, too. It takes some getting used to. That's right. So if you're doing this for the first time, the best thing to do is to... Um, I was lucky in the sense that when I bought my first set of holders, they had old sheets of film in it. Ah. So, I so was you could able see to, what, it lo- what it looked like. I was able to practice in yeah, the and light. Yeah, and you got some uh, some sheets that you can fool around with and That's not worry right. about. Yeah. Um, just... Um, and then, of course, you simply close your eyes to pretend that you're in a dark bag. Yeah. Because this has to be done in a dark bag yes. um, so, or you will ruin your film. Absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of, uh, I forgot who posted, a couple guys have posted it, but some Yahoo is uh, taking all the photographic paper out of the boxes and is oh, selling yeah. them on eBay for, I don't I didn't forget the price even, but yeah. anyway, it's like, good God. And but yeah, it has to be done in dark. It's film, obviously. Yeah. Um, Alex mentioned a dark bag. I started with a dark bag um, when I yeah when I first got into large format. And what I found was uh, it can be difficult because you know the bag kind of collapses yeah. around your hands and stuff like that. And of course, you get the infamous uh, film sweat sometimes. Oh, I I really don't anymore because I wear gloves. Oh, good. Yeah, so I, I, wear, I wear cotton gloves as well too. Um, nitrile powderless. Okay. I wear I wear the cotton like negative anti-static gloves. Yeah, I find I don't get enough um, tactile sensation. Ah, okay. So, uh, but what I was going to say with the dark bag, so there's a couple tricks. Um, uh, one, you could spend a little bit of money at B and H. They have something. It's a, a pop up tent. tent. Yes. Uh, it's called the portable dark room, yep. and it's only it's not that expensive. It's about yeah. eighty bucks. Yeah. Um, I picked one up, and then before that, what I would do is I would um, you you can go on Amazon and you can buy these. Uh, small plastic or wire um, kitchen cupboard shelves, like an additional right. shelf thing. Like a, it looks it looks like a small step stool, actually. Yeah. Um, obviously not as big as a step stool, but yeah. uh, small enough that you can slide it inside your dark bag and it holds the dark bag up. And then you, you don't have the bag kind of collapsing around yeah. your fingers and that sort of thing. So I, it gives you a little bit more room yeah. to work and you can load m- more than one um, holder at a time i can usually do about four at a time yeah 
um, in a dark bag without any sort of help to prop it up. That's great. And you got to remember, four four holders is eight shots. Eight shots. Yeah. I usually do it in groups of four these days, yeah. um, and that reason will come clear in a bit. And I I do mine in sixes, and that reason will become clear in a bit too. Yeah. Um, so um, essentially. Um, the way I lay out the things in the dark bag is I have the box of film on the left. Mm -hmm. I have the holders with the flaps to allow you to load the film facing towards me in the middle. And then I have the slides with the actual handles pointing away from me. Yep. So, and this is a system that I've developed and basically find a system that works best for you. Absolutely. And then stick to it. That includes how you determine if you've shot a sheet, right. which direction you put the um, the dark slide in the dark slide yeah. in so what Alex when uh, what Alex is referring to all dark slides essentially um, uh, where the where the pull handle is on the dark slide there's a, a, a like a metal frame and it's or a black yeah. side and one side is silver one side is black, black or white and or black, white and black on yeah what holder what you type have. of holder if it's a fidelity fidelity holder I think um, has the plastic yeah um, they're all they're all good they're, people have opinions on you know everything they're for, to me it's a film holder I don't, use both don't don't overthink it get yep. gets what get what is cheap and in good shape mm-hmm. um, for me personally uh, unexposed is the silver or white side that's for what me I do. and then uh, black uh, or is the dark is side. the exposed side yep and uh, one thing to remember uh, 99% of the holders out there have a small retainer mm-hmm. um, at the back keep them closed all the time. Yep. Um, oftentimes, I have uh, grabbed a film holder uh, by the pull handle and yes. pulled the dark slide out and left the film holder and ruined the film inside. Yeah. And it's um, a lot worse after you've exposed that film to do that. And again, even I have a system for that. Um, if they're flipped up mm-hmm. and um, holding a, a dark slide in place, that means that it has film loaded into it. Yes, if absolutely. If I have them pointed inwards to each other, yeah. that means it's empty. I do the same thing. Uh, if it's yeah. uh, if I can pull the dark slide out, it means uh, it's There's not no loaded. Film. Yeah, that's right. Um, but if in doubt, you know, put your yeah. get your get your dark bag out. You know, uh, that's right. Uh, open it up, check it out, and then actually putting the uh, film in you need to make sure that the notch or notches yes are in the way i have it set up in mine my notches will be on the left okay right and that means that the emulsion side is facing up and then it basically comes out i align it i just slide it right in Mm -hmm. close the uh close the tab and uh slide the dark slide in flip repeat and then move that to the bottom yep and I, because I do mine the other way, I, I have the um, the flaps facing away from me. Okay. For me, I look for I set I, I actually set mine up in reverse to yours. So I, <laughs> you go left to right, I go right to left, left. Or, or vice versa. Um, so for me, when I'm looking for the notches, I'm feeling it with my right index finger, uh, emulsion side up, and then I'm sliding them in. Exactly. Yeah. And again, that just shows find a system and stick with it. And yeah, do what works for you, what you're That's comfortable right. with, and you know, don't get nervous. Loan oh, it's just geez. it's just a sheet of film. No like, violence. Yeah, no violence required. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's good too. Uh, I get these tiny little um, stickers, little labels yeah. uh, from uh, uh, from Staples or Office mm-hmm. Depot or whatever office supply store you have around you. And I just I just uh, just jot down what film is on there. The a lot of the film holders have a they have a memo tab, a little memo tab. But so what? Over the years, they get pretty dirty yeah. and gross, so and you can't read what's on there. What I've actually done is mm-hmm. I've assigned numerical designators to all my folders, oh cool hol- all my holders. So one dash one, one dash two, two dash one, two dash two, all the way up. I think I have like ten yep. holders now, and then I'll jot down like in a notebook or something, notebook, yeah, which will include the, um, the frame numbers, what films loaded, etc. Um, the film loaded, yeah. and then I also record the. Um, the shutter speed, the aperture, how I, exp- um, and what I rated the film at. Cool. Um, I have, I've been doing this since I started simply as a learning experience to see what worked, what didn't. And I've just continued. I don't really need to anymore, but it's just yeah. nice because some Facebook groups require that information. Yes. As part of the rules. Yep. And if you're not running a Facebook group, you follow the rules. Exactly. <laughs> if it's not your group, it's someone else's. That's right. <laughs> Um, 
and that's about it. Now, um, developing, there are, again, many methods to do that. Um, the oldest being tray developing. Yeah. But unless you have a room that is completely light tight, um, or even a dark room, if you have a film that isn't sensitive to red light orthochromatic, um, I don't like trays. Um, Same with me. Um, I've done it once many yeah. years ago. And, um, I mean, you can't see anything. Exactly. So, uh, I don't know. It just... I felt very disconnected from the process, mm -hmm. I guess. So I I prefer uh, the methods that we're going to talk about in yep. the next 30 seconds or so. Um, the next one is um, hangers and tanks. Yep. Again, you start to run into the same problem. It's really good for a large volume. Yes. If you don't want to uh, drop some yeah, money you, you could you the Rolls-Royce. Yeah, you could do um, you know 12 to 18 uh, yeah. sheets in one uh, dip and dunk uh, mm -hmm. tank. Uh, it's a little bit easier to, to use than the sheet method. Yeah. Um, uh, but for me, I don't really get into that yeah. much of high volume. I really should because my f I have a uh, I have a film fridge pile. dedicated to yeah. uh, sheet film, and uh, it's yeah. getting full. And I got to get out there and shoot some of that damn stuff. So. And the uh, hangers are getting incredibly hard to yes. find these days. Yeah. And if you do find them, they're often in fairly rough shape. Yeah. Um, there is, of course, the uh, taco method, which we at CCR do not Tacos recommend. Tacos are meant for eating. That's right. So that leaves you with three mm -hmm. options. Um, the first one is the uh, Mod 54. Which is the kind of um, enhanced taco method, I suppose. Uh, that's right. Mm -hmm. But that also, I've heard things like sheets falling off. It's difficult yeah, to load. I, um, I've used and the... And you're using a liter of chemistry. Yeah. I, I used to use the Mod 54. I, I bought two um, uh, Mod 54 mm -hmm. holders or spools or whatever you want to call them. They hold three sheets per side. Um, it's essentially the taco method with three sheets um, on each side of the spool yep. layered on top of each other with spacing in between. Um, but it's extremely difficult to load because if you don't catch them all in the right tabs, they'll... Uh, they'll, they'll get stuck together uh, right. so i've had that happen and ruined uh, and it won't ruin just one sheet it'll mm -hmm. ruin a minimum of two um usually all three mm -hmm. um i find um uh that once they're loaded um when you're agitating the film they don't always stay in there no so you have to be you have to you know even when you're pouring your chemicals in the tank you have to do be it very careful yeah do it very gingerly uh very mild um mm -hmm. agitations and inversions um I don't like it because uh, for six sheets of film, it's a liter of chemicals. That's you right. Know, um, I, I have a tank large enough to support it, but I use that for roll film. Yeah. Um, and again, it's compared to the uh, smaller, yeah. the 500 mil tank. Yeah, like it's you, a lot harder to uh, yeah. Because in, in that five hundred mil tank, yeah, I think you can do four uh, rolls of uh, one thirty five and no, two rolls of one thirty five, one of one twenty. In the liter tank, you can do oh, sorry, the liter tank. I'm talking about yeah, yeah. yeah sorry, you mentioned the five hundred. Yeah, yeah, two of one twenty. Yeah, so if you compare those numbers to you know six sheets of, uh, mm -hmm. of film, I mean, it's a lot of chemicals to use on, yeah. on a number of frames. So there are two really good other methods. That's right. And um, you actually run with a uh, Jobo. I do. So I use the um, uh, uh, Jobo 2509N mm -hmm. system, um, which is not the super uber expensive uh, uh, right. 5010 uh, system. <laughs> um, and I'll talk a little bit about the 5010 and why I... I would love to have one, but I'll never get one. Um, uh, the twenty five oh nine comes; it's it's uh, looks just like a, uh, a typical like one twenty or one thirty five plastic reel, yep. um, except it's in the size of four by five. Mm -hmm. uh, it comes with a, a loading uh, tool yes. uh, that you drop the uh, spool onto, and then it clicks in, and then all you do is you slide your slide your sheets, sheets through the. Uh, through the, the, the loading mechanism, yep. and it loads it lickety-split. It's a Beautiful. real piece of cake. Um, you can buy the spools without the loader. It becomes a little bit more difficult. Yep. Um, I don't do... I used to when I first got the system, and I found... <coughs> pardon me. I found the loader... Uh, for like 80 bucks, uh, Cat there Labs was selling it on yes. eBay, and, and uh, 
um, you know, I grabbed one and ever since then it's been terrific. Uh, one reel loads, um, uh, three sheets per side. So six sheets, six sheets. And, um, uh, in a, in a one liter, uh, Jobo tank, um, you can, uh, I can do two of them so yep. I can do 12 at a time. And the nice thing about a Jobo, because it's a rotary processor, you um, don't need as much chemistry. You don't need as much chemistry. How in. much do you use per, um, per group of 12, say? Um, 250 milliliters. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And uh, you just read your Jobo tank because it's That's rotating right. through the chemicals. Um, so if you're shooting color, um, it's a lot uh, more efficient of, mm. of a use because you're not, you know, with your color chemicals, it's not, it's not used once. It's, uh, uh, you're, you know, you're saving those chemicals. So the more, you know, the, the less, less chemicals you, you can, you can expose That's to right. oxidation and, 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 you know, obviously depletion, et cetera. Um, you know, is really is really good, and it's. Um, uh, I guess with uh, you know, I, I try not to go. I try not to use rotary tanks when I'm doing black and white, okay. uh, because I just I just want greater control over the That's agitation. Right. Um, but even some of the Jobo systems, you can control. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you can control the speed um, yep. uh, of the rotation on your on the Jobo, um, and uh, yeah, the Jobo is an excellent. Excellent That's tool right. for you know all all kinds of uh, photography. So. And the general rule of thumb, if you go from a standard agitation pattern to a constant, is you reduce it by about thirty percent. Yeah, roughly. Yeah, your roughly. your film will develop faster yes. um, than a, a hand tank method. Yes. So um, for hand tanks, um, you can use the Jobos yep. as well, or the Patterson tanks. You or can, the Patterson you can, tanks. You can do yep. tacos. Uh, sorry, while we're on the subject of Jobo, Jobo does make the fifty ten system yes. that holds six sheets in its own little circular container mm-hmm. um it again it's a big giant tank um yeah. but it, again it doesn't use very much chemicals because it's rotating but one of those tanks you're looking at about six hundred dollars canadian yes. 400 yes. and change 500 and change us mm-hmm. and uh you need to get the air pump or the water pump to pop the top off these yeah. things it's it, you know I mean, it's it's a cool piece of engineering, but, but I mean, it's really just necessary. so counterproductive and and, and cost prohibitive. Yep. I mean, I, I hey, if you've got the coin to spend on one, the convenience factor is great. Yep. But I mean, that you know, I think that's an individual decision for a lot of folks. So exactly, and if you don't want to drop the money on a Jobo system, um, there is a poor man Jobo out there. Um, you can use um, BTZ print drums. Yep. Or a, a lot of the Chinese knockoffs on on, e- on eBay yeah. too. Um, in fact, my twenty five oh nine reels because Jobo wants like you know ninety bucks for one of those reels. I bought them from you know a Chinese vendor on uh, on eBay for like twenty bucks, there and it's go. the exact same reel. Yeah, I use I use. Um, so Jobo's going to be mad at if me if I'm but doing a constant agitation, which really is only one um, film and shooting style and developing. Um, FP4 at 64 in PyroCat HD yep. requires constant agitation. So for that, I just load two sheets of um, 4x5 into this um, Cibachrome oh, okay. print drum. Yep. And then I have a matching rotating base for it, which spins yep. it one way and then spins, spins it the, it the other, other way. way. Yep. And you know what? It works, and it's a great way if you just want to sit back and relax. Yep. But for the most part, I use the SP445. Great little system. Which is a fantastic system. It's why I shoot four at a time. And yep. also because the um, print file sheets come in four. Ah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that, um, and, it just uh, makes my yeah. record keeping clean. Yeah, and of course, for me, because I'm using the Jobo system, I'm shooting, I generally load yeah. a minimum of three uh, holders, which is six yeah. shots, one per side, or I'll do six. And Yeah. yeah. Or you can just bring it up and shoot 12 at a time. And exactly. Then you're good. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, and what I, what I also like to do, uh, just to step back to shoot, shooting, is I rarely will leave a uh, film holder half used. Yeah. So if I'm gonna if I shoot one, I'm gonna make sure I shoot the other shoot one because I want that whole I want that holder empty. Yes. Um, when I'm done. So. No. Well, that about covers it for um, large format. Um, just to uh, bring it back, absolute basic kit you need. You need a camera, a tripod, a lens. Um, a cable release, an external meter. Mm-hmm. I do not recommend using your phone for metering no. the 4x5. I've done it once in a pinch, and 
I had my shadows, but mm-hmm. I completely lost my highlights. Yeah, uh, there, there's a lot of dynamic range going on in a large format yeah. frame, uh, or there, at least there can be a high potential for that. Mm-hmm. So the phone is not always going to work. Is not your best bet. You yeah. also don't need to spend a lot of money on one. A good solid spot meter would yeah, be absolutely. Your, your best friend. Yeah. And just learn how to average out shots, yep. and, and a lot of it you can, you know, I mean, as you as photography, um, the science develops into feel through repetition. That's so right. I think it's very important to, mm-hmm. to shoot a lot. Um, I always like to carry um, when I'm shooting monorail in particular. I have a focusing uh, focusing cloth. I use one of those as well. Yep. Again, you don't have to go expensive no. with this. Um, I'm using a black. Um, bath towel, a towel, a hoodie, whatever you got, at a jacket. A Walmart in Sydney, Nova Scotia, because I had just driven. Oh, man, <laughs> I know it was twelve hours from um, Oakville to Cornwall. Ugh. Um, no, sorry, Cornwall to Moncton. Yeah, and then Moncton to uh, Sydney. When I realized that I left my usual focusing <laughs> towel at home. Uh. So I popped into the Walmart yep. and um, grabbed one, and it's basically yeah, lived with me ever yep. since. It's 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 functional. I mean, all yep. you need to do is just you know create some that some darkness, cut the glare down, so you can actually view the screen. Yeah. Um. My I'm in my old age. I've become more farsighted, so I uh, need reading glasses. So it's I I it's very difficult for me to see yep. things within sixteen inches of my eyes and and so and small a viewing things. loop. Yeah. So I I have um. A, a, uh, an eight or ten times loop that I bring yeah. with me, um, uh, and I basically just use the loop. I put it up against the ground glass, and I check that it's in focus, and yeah. it, that that works for me. Um, a lot of guys that are shooting five by seven and eight by ten, um, they will use loops because mm-hmm. those images are so big, and oh, focus yeah. is critical. Absolutely, um, you got to remember too, uh, because the negative is so big. Uh, focus is it's, extremely yes. important with these things. So you know. Get what you need um, mm-hmm. to do it. It's not that expensive. That's right. uh, you can find a lot of this stuff really cheap. Um, you can probably go to um, a mastermind store and find one of those pocket microscopes that yeah. kids use to look at bugs. Yeah, and like I mean, like an eight times negative loop. Yeah, is like ten bucks at your photography store. If exactly. it's not, find a different photography store. Yep. Um, but yeah. Hmm. Um, if you want to know more about large format photography, I definitely recommend checking out the Large Format Photography Podcast. Yeah, those are some good blokes running that, and they absolutely. know their stuff, so yeah, absolutely. Um, also, um, the Film Photography Podcast, um, definitely get in touch with them if you have any major, major questions. Just and yeah, Matt Marash, yeah, Matt yeah. Marash is an encyclopedia of, That's right. uh, of large format. Shoot him an email, podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. Ask for Matt, and he will... Um, definitely answer and all your definitely questions. Definitely check out his work, his Flickr feed. It's, yeah. uh, he's got some stunning work up there. It's I've, amazing. I've had the honor of shooting with him on a dozen or so occasions. Cool. Um, we've gone out early in the morning to Hawking Hills with our large format cameras. He let me shoot his 8x10. Um, yeah, he takes time. that thing everywhere, right? Yes. Yeah. He took it to Africa. I know. I, I heard that. I have yet to, uh, um, you know, with Flickr's whole situation yeah. i haven't had a chance to go i don't know if he's posted anything yet he but, has oh God, and i should really go check it out is actually quite stunning we'll yeah. be sure to post links yeah we're big fans of the fvp and matt in yep. particular so um well that's it for uh, this episode i can't believe we've managed to do this in under an hour good god this a- is going to be the shortest cleanest ccr episode <laughs> ever i mean after that may episode i guess we're atoning for our sins yeah well this is for <laughs> august but anyways um my name's Alex Oak saying sometimes size does matter. <laughs> uh, this is James Leaves. <laughs> it's not necessarily the size, it's uh, how you move your bellows. 